and welcome to the Painless Podcast. It's Chris Hartwig from Painless Networking here. Check us out at www.painless.network. See more on taking the pain out of networking. The idea behind these Painless Podcasts is very simple, connecting with good human beings that are in and around the sports and event marketing industry, not just sound bites, but actual conversations. Smart, interesting, generous people who share with us how and why they've reached the success they've had, and how and why and networking and mentoring have shaped their careers. Going to have more about our very special live Painless podcast in just a sec, but first, huge thanks to our sponsor who makes the podcast possible, as well as the panel discussion, Chicago-based NCSA. They're the world's largest and most successful collegiate athletic recruiting network, NCSA team of more than 600 former college coaches, athletes, and others have helped tens of thousands of college-bound student-athletes connect with college coaches every year. They're a tech company with a sports mindset. The NCSA has been recognized for culture initiatives, benefits, and overall workplace environment. They've won multiple awards, including Fortune's 50 Best Companies to Work For and Chicago Magazine's Best and Brightest Companies to Work For. Pretty good honors. So if you're interested in joining the NCSA team, helping student-athletes connect with college coaches and opportunities, visit the NCSA Careers page at www.ncsasports.org. Got a complete link in the podcast description. Oh, and uh, make sure you pull up Podcast 15 with NCSA's President Lisa Strassman for her firsthand take on NCAA's work and culture and why they're growing like crazy and adding people. Okay, today's Painless Podcast is a very special episode featuring edited-for-time audio from last week's terrific panel event from uh, that would be Wednesday, September 20th, hosted by our good friends at the Brickhouse Tavern Chicago at the Park at Wrigley. Joining me on today's pod, a diverse group of people in sports and tech, Gabe Adelini, Chief Revenue Officer at Block 6 Analytics, Nathan Frank, a data scientist at Stats, Lotika Pai, co-founder of Powful, and Desiree Christman, VP of Digital at PCG Sports Desk. Some great folks. We talk about a wide range of topics, including AI, how to mine the right data by asking the right questions, and the velocity of change that's taking place in this space. You definitely want to stick around towards the end as all four guests share some really good tips on carving their path to success. As happens with live audio, I'll give a little apology here. The sound is not perfect. Hang on through the first few minutes as my man Ben Guy from Air Productions got the sound dialed in in this uh, brand new space at the Brickhouse Tavern. So enough of me. Let's get to these guys. Recorded September 20th. Let's get connected with Desiree, Lotika, Nathan, and Gabe. Thank you very much for coming tonight. We're going to start with uh, Julie's going to kick us off. Miss Julie? For those of you I haven't had the privilege of meeting yet, my name is Julie Hefferkamp. I'm the current president of WISE Chicago. Uh, for a little bit about WISE before we kick off the event, WISE is women in sports and events. And over the course, I've been a part of the organization for now nine years and have currently served as their president since January. Chicago chapter formed now 11 years ago. We have 180 members and we are part of 18 chapters across the US. We've gained nine more chapters in the last two years. So we are a growing and moving organization and our primary mission is to service and promote women in the sports and events field. So if we haven't connected and we want to, there's quite a few members who are wearing board member tags here. Please connect with us after the event. But Really, for tonight, this is an absolutely outstanding event, an extremely attractive room. You guys should know how good you look from my vantage point. And really, when I first moved to Chicago 13 years ago, I got one email from my boss. I was working in a sports marketing firm, and she said, you have to join Painless. Painless is amazing. It's run by some knuckleheads, but they're outstanding. And I say that lovingly because it was an organization that promoted sports, knew about sports, run by sports people. And so tonight for Wise and Painless to come together is honestly a dream come true. Uh, I find Chris Hartwick to be an outstanding man and just such a pillar of our community. And for Wise to join with this organization tonight and have the folks behind us is really just awesome. So I wanna say a special thank you on the Wise side to NCSA for their work in helping promote this event. Um, and Chris is gonna take it away and talk about a few other of the people that made this possible. But thank you guys and look forward to this evening. Thank you, Julie. 
the check is in the mail for saying such nice things about me. Uh, I'm, as she said, uh, Chris Hartwig from Painless Networking. I'm going to be the moderator this evening, so hang tight here as we get started in a minute. But before we do, I wanted to bring up somebody from the uh, beneficiary of tonight. Uh, we've already raised several hundred bucks um, heading into the night from your generations, uh, your donations, generous donations is what I'm trying to say, with the uh, ticketing site. But I wanted to bring up Tina Starrett from uh, the Sports Shed. She's gonna tell a little bit more about what they do in case anybody here would like more information and would like to get involved. Tina, come on up. Hello, Thanks. thank you. I'd like to thank uh, Wise and Chris and uh, NCSA for inviting us and to be the charity tonight. Um, if you're not familiar with who the Sports Shed is, it's probably because we're one of the best kept secrets in Chicago. And I'm here to make sure that we're not a secret anymore. Basically what we do is we supply sports equipment to under-resourced schools, um, like the CPS schools, there's over 100, uh, 600 schools in CPS. Many of them um, have next to nothing budget for sports. And many other after-school organizations and sports organizations, on this, mainly on the south and west side of Chicago, um, rely on us to supply quality sports equipment so that they can continue to run their programs or they can grow their programs or you know, involve more kids and that sort of thing. Um, we started in 2009. We're a very small operation, and we would like to grow so that we can um, serve more schools and organizations that need our help so that there's hundreds of thousands of kids who would love the chance to play sports but don't have the resources or the equipment um, in order to do that. So come on over and talk to me. We're also going to be starting uh, a, a, a young professionals board in 2018. So if you're interested in being a part of that, um, you know, you can talk to me about that also. So thank you so much. Thank you, Tina. So make sure you stop by and check out the table here that Sportshed has and visit with Tina after we're done with the panel. And of course, uh, Julie also mentioned a big thank you to NCSA for helping underwrite the cost to help keep the cost of tickets down for this evening. NCSA, a great company that's growing exponentially here in Chicago a tech-focused sports company helping college or high school students get connected with colleges, coaches, and opportunities with those universities. If you'd be interested in more information, particularly in working for NCSA, they are hiring. So they wanted to help get the word out tonight with the event, so make sure you stop by and see the folks from NCSA. All right, welcome again to the, what are we, big data, and sports innovation panel. Doesn't that sound fancy? Uh, I brought together with uh, the folks from WISE, we've got four terrific panelists here. Why don't you guys each turn around and grab your, your microphones behind you so we're ready to rock and roll. As we look from stage right, from your left, is that right? All right, Desiree Chrisman, Vice President of Digital from PCG Sports Deck, is here from Dallas, right, Desiree? Thank you for coming, Desiree. Next up, Lotika Pai. Did I get it? Did I, or are you just being nice? No, no. I did it? Okay, Lotika Pai. She's a co-founder with Powerful, a very interesting story of how she is, ended up where she is right now. We're gonna talk about that tonight. Uh, next up is Nathan Frank, a data scientist at Stats here. And, uh, you know, I always say marketing, sports marketing is not complicated, and it's not like we're rocket scientists. Uh, Nathan is getting his PhD in uh, physics and astronomy, so we basically have a rocket scientist with us here this evening to talk data. And uh, last but not least, Good friend of mine, a very smart fella, who's going to share uh, his work right now with the startup Block Six Analytics, Gabe Adelini, the Chief Resource Officer, CRO. Thank you for for joining me tonight. Why don't we uh, randomly, uh, Gabriel? Why don't you start us off? Give us a quick elevator pitch. What's your day-to-day -day role, when, and what is Block Six Analytics? Sure, thanks Chris. Uh, nice to see everyone this evening. 
So I'm the Chief Revenue Officer for Block 6 Analytics. We've been around about three years as a firm. Really have had significant growth in the last year and a half. And ultimately, we strive to leverage technology to help be the language around what sponsorships are worth, which assets within those sponsorships are really delivering the most value. Ultimately, just help answer that question that everybody's been trying to get at about what's working well, what's maybe not working so well, and then specifically looking at that through a customized lens of four individual businesses. So, been a lot of work about understanding what the, what's maybe worth to the general market, but what are things worth for specific firms and using computer vision and AI and some interesting stuff like that to help answer those questions. Artificial intelligence, I need some of that, but I think we're gonna talk about some of that more tonight. Uh, Nathan, give us a little bit more. What do you do at Stats? So I'm on the data science team at Stats, which is a relatively new part of a company that's been around for about 40 years. Uh, so Stats has been a data provider in sports, uh, have huge historical archives of data on the big four American sports, as well as international soccer, rugby, cricket, pretty much you name it. Um, and the data science team was founded in 2015 uh, primarily to, to leverage all that historical data and try and build new products, uh, build new innovations and new insights off of it. Um, so my day-to-day -day is uh, I have the best job in the world. I get to nerd out on sports data all day, every day. Um, so primarily we're, trying, we're interested in, in uh, making better predictions. We want to understand uh, these sports at a very granular level. Um, with very detailed data points uh, and try and use that to sort of build new products that are, that are useful to, to media companies, that are useful to um, coaches and analysts. Um, uh, and really just, we're trying to do cool stuff, honestly. Like, trying to that, do that's, cool stuff. That's what we're charged with right now. We're internal R&D and we just get to do things that we find interesting every day and hopefully eventually it turns into something that's, uh, you know, a product. All right, Lotica, tell us a little bit about your background and Powerful. Hi everyone, my name is Lota Kapai and I'm the co-founder of Powerful. We are a new entrant in the booming women's activewear market. Um, a little bit about my background. Uh, so my undergrad was in engineering, so very hardcore engineering undergrad. I coded in Unix and C when it was starting out, so that kind of dates me, but that's uh, what I started out with. My first job was with Robert Bosch, which, you know, they make these big heavy machineries which are used in automotive industries and in the homes. And I designed engines for cars and I designed radios that went into, you know, they were original equipment in BMW cars at that time. Uh, moved into designing supply chain operations software for the company, transitioned from that into global supply chain operations consulting, went to business school, got a, you know, I did that for a decade and went to business school, got a, you know, went to Chicago booth here, moved to um, Chicago in 2006 and uh, got a degree in finance and accounting and I did what every good boothie does. I went into investment banking and um, as luck would have it, of all the choices that I had, I picked Lehman Brothers. And, you know, I kind of rode the wave down. I was at the company when it went, you know, it declared bankruptcy. And I was at the company on, you know, September 15th, 2008. And I'm sure everyone here has either seen a movie or a documentary about the big financial bust of 2008. And I think that was a point in my career when I had been so corporate focused for so long. I was in a situation where my choices, the decisions I had made, the paths I had picked for myself had led me to a place where things were happening to me. I had not contributed to the crash. I had no say in all the economic turmoil that was around me, and I found myself in a place where I was questioning every single decision that led me to that path. And you know, I made a choice two days after the bankruptcy saying that I'm gonna pay off all these ginormous student loans that I have, and then I'm gonna do something on my own. I wanted to build something where 
every decision I made had an impact. And that was kind of the start of my journey to entrepreneurship. It took a little bit of time. I went to Barclays Capital, worked in investment banking for a number of years there. And now I'm the co-founder of a women's active company. So it's been a long transition from hardcore engineering into women's active and the sports industry. Hardcore engineering, Bosch tools. Uh, Desiree, welcome from uh, great state of Texas. Tell us a little bit about what you do at uh, PCG Sports Desk. So I'm the vice president of digital at PCG Sports Desk. We have two offices, one in Chicago, one in Dallas, um, and we do a variety of things. I'm only gonna talk about what my team does because I can't explain what everyone else does, but um, we have four core competencies as a company. One would be innovation, which is uh, innovative marketing strategies that can help teams like the Cubs um, come up with new ideas to new revenue streams, new sponsorships. We have a partnership sales division where we are an outsourced sales team helping teams and properties uh, acquire new sponsors. Uh, we have an analytics team, and analytics is the common thread of the different teams. Nothing that we do could be done without analytics. Um, and then my team is digital media, so what we're really focused on is helping anyone in sports and entertainment sell tickets to events, um, fan engagement, how can we engage with fans differently, and um, sponsorship amplification. So. We know and understand a team's fan base so deeply that we know how to engage with them on any platform at any time of the day, no matter where they're at. So that's really the focus of my team. Like the breakdown. What have, uh, we've talked a little bit about, or a lot about data. Gabe, we, we've talked also about artificial intelligence. H how is that being implemented now in, you're doing a lot with Sponsorship valuation is driving what you guys do. How has AI then come to sponsor valuation, which then is coming to affect sports teams, sports properties, partnerships? Well, I think there are a lot of different uh, pieces to that. AI is obviously like a pretty, at this point, becoming more of a general term, and then there's a lot of subsets within AI. But I think, for one, it's actually a lot about understanding the conversation that's going on. There's a lot of really interesting stuff where you can get down to, say, uh, things like uh, how positive or negative is the sentiment around this relationship, how uh, just different pieces like that, for one. Also, I think just outside of our firm, we've, we've been fortunate enough to interact with some really interesting things. and. For instance, a firm out of New York City uh, who's working with a lot of the chat bots and how to take fan dialogue back and forth through a team app and have it be like a one-on-one. -on -one. It actually looks like bubble, 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 like someone's texting you back. And that's a pretty substantial increase in customer experience where you're not looking around so much. And then there's things like piece of our business that uses computer vision where we basically teach a computer to have facial recognition for logos, and we can begin to understand on eight frames per second basis, if a logo appears on in that frame, if so, where, how big, how clear, different pieces like that, which before has been a lot more of a manual process. And you have to build that stuff out yourselves, right? Because that's something that's basically fluid right now, that that's what one of the things Block 6 is doing, right? That We have ended up, uh, honestly, when we started, it was not our intention to build these things. And at the end of the day, the data collection became so, the speed and the accuracy became so important that we have taken them largely in-house. But I think it's like any company, actually. There's a strategic decision to be made about buy or build. And, you know, do you have to buy or do you have to build or can you buy? And what are the cost and time trade-offs? For us, we've built a couple of platforms because we had to. Same, Nathan, same thing with you guys. Is, is a lot of it built or are you procuring it externally? Uh, yeah, so definitely a mix of both. Um, when, so Stats has been around, like I said, for decades, but it, it, was, it was bought by a private equity firm in 2015 uh, along with a technology called SportView. So this is a, a player tracking system. It uses cameras installed in stadiums uh, every NBA arena had it. Um, 
a lot of it, you know, soccer, soccer arenas do, and it tracks every player on the ball 25 times a second. So you get gigabytes of data from every game <clears throat> of every player's motion on the field um, and what they're doing, right? Uh, and so that technology was purchased, but we're also building the next version of that in-house. So we want to use, you know, installing these systems uh, are expensive. You know, there's a high price point. NBA, the NBA bought it for all their teams. We have a few colleges that have, that have bought it because they can afford to, the, you know, the Dukes of the world. But for co other college programs and, and lower down the food chain, it's just not a realistic, affordable thing. But imagine you don't need to install the system. Imagine that we can track everything that's happening on the field just by watching video. If there's someone providing video of that game, we can tell you every one of those data points. And so that's the next, that's the next thing. And that's something we're building in-house. Um, so there's kind of a mixed, a mixed strategy. There. And when you talk about the, the usage, what's for folks here not as familiar with it, what the data points and things, you know, it, teams use it to break down successful ways to defend certain plays or what players are more successful at certain play sets and things like that. What else, what other uses are you seeing come about that we're going to see out in the real world coming from, from, from the stuff you're working on? Yeah, so the, the, the computer vision, and, and primarily I'm talking about a subset of that, which is called uh, body pose detection. So that just, that's exactly what it sounds like. If you have a video and you see a person, we're able to detect and reconstruct their full skeleton, meaning we're detecting points like their elbow, their wrist, their hips, their knees, their ankles. And from that, we can understand everything that's happening uh, with their full range of motion in three dimensions, right? So for sports teams, that's useful information because from video alone, from just a point in two-dimensional space, you may look at a play and say, oh, that player's wide open. Why did he miss that three-point shot? But if you know what's happening uh, to their body, you may say, oh, okay, well, he had to lean down. It was a bad pass, and it was low and to the right. He had to collect. He had to kind of jump over. You get so much more information. So once these technologies sort of transfer out in, into the public space and sort of become open-sourced, uh, you can imagine using it to diagnose injuries. So there's a lot of amateur athletes have injury issues. Soccer, there's a huge concussion problem in soccer. A lot of torn, torn ligaments in soccer, right? What if you could use that information about the way they're moving, about their 3D, their skeletal movements in real time to say, hey, there's something going on with your gait. Uh, we think that maybe you have some muscle weakness and maybe we've seen in other players that this leads to a tear, right? So, and is that stuff that you, do you look at that at stats of saying what are ways we can slice and dice this data? Or are you earlier on in the cycle on that? Yeah, so I mean, we're, you know, like I said, we have this sport view system um, and it's, it's been widely adopted, but we wanna, we wanna go to the next thing, right? We wanna do the, the, the next technology. And so for us, it's, it's you know, our major clients are sports teams, sports leagues, but uh, also media, uh, and, f and by that, fans, you know, the individual people that are interested in following sports. And so we need to provide them information that's relevant. And so if we can get more detailed, we can allow teams to search for very specific data points. We can allow, you know, media partners to sort of characterize, tell the story of a game at a more granular level, then, then that's good for us. And I mean, from like, again, like a personal reason, like our team, the data science team, we're trying to be on the cutting edge of AI research. You know, there, there's a great sort of movement in AI, in, in deep learning, and all these sort of machine learning technologies where there's a lot of cross-pollination. You see you know, things from natural language processing research pollinating over into computer vision research and, and vice, vice versa, right? So there's, because these platforms have become, become so robust, because the Googles of the world are outsourcing all their code, you can see a lot of this transfer and innovation really speeding things up for a lot of different channels. Desiree, throw it to you with looking at all this data. Same kind of a question, you're using it a little bit differently, but how are you collecting? How much is it that you're building things out? How much of it is that you're, you're taking it from existing? How much of it is you're gonna have to go create or source or mine this data yourselves? And then what are you doing with it? How is it changing how you've been doing business the last few years? We're not building anything uh, digital. <laughs> Digital moves way too quickly, and if Google already has a great product, then we're going to use it because it's not the technology. This is our, our stance on it. It's not the technology. It's the people. Um, so it requires a ton of different 
platforms that we have to pull into one place and make sense of it. So for example, we might be buying media on Facebook. We are then listening to what people are saying on Twitter, Facebook, everything. That's a different piece of software. Um, we are analyzing the customer base of a team. So we're importing their past buyers list. That's a different piece of software. That's Oracle that's really making those uh, connections to what those people are like. So all of those great platforms exist. And if we sit down and we take the time, because we're a new company, we're about three years old. If we take the time to try and build something proprietary, just to say that we have proprietary technology, we're already behind. So we have smart people that understand the technology. Let's, let's move with that. So it's more that you're aggregating all these things, staying, trying to stay out in front and find the places for the data and then processing it for your, your clients. Yes. What's an example of, I mean, if you could give a client specifically, that would be great, but at least in generalities of a way that you've done some of that recently that's helped solve a problem, increase ticket sales, uh, you know, stop a problem with sponsorship sales sliding, is there something like that that you could relate to these guys of bringing all that together for a client? Um, yeah, I have a couple examples. I guess one I'll give is for the Chicago Dogs, a new independent baseball team. The, um, we do all of their marketing and team launch it was very, very recent. We, we launched the name, we launched the brand. Um, we had an event down at the Wiener Circle where the announcement was made. So we, we put a Snapchat geo filter over the event that had a, a camera, the hot dog cam, um, and that was all about branding. And then uh, it, was, it was all weekend long. There were people in hot dog suits running along the city. And while all of that was happening, we were pulling the data into our data visualization software, Domo. Um, and, and looking at it so that we could respond. We uncovered new influencers that we could reach out right away, um, engage with them, have them tweet about us. We saw that we had you know, 500,000 people that saw the uh, Snapchat filter. It was between X hours, so this was on Friday. So we knew on Saturday between five and seven, this is when we have to heavily engage. We have to load up our tweets, so. Oh, that's a great example. All right, Lotika, you're the super engineer. Now you go and get the MBA. Now you're apparel. Is that succinct, too succinct? How have you taken, you know, there's all this data that's out there, all this research, and you've lived in that world of understanding and pulling that together. How has that played in starting, forming, strengthening what you're doing with sports, uh, technical sports apparel? So I think, first of all, um, I have a very analytical brain, so if I don't understand, <laughs> I like, like to break it down. So artificial intelligence is such a bandied about term. Like it's become most of the innovation we've seen in 2017 has been in artificial intelligence. So if I take my industry in the e-commerce space, 8% of United States retail sales have happened on e-commerce platform. 20, 26% of that has been on mobile. So it's a platform that's growing very, very fast, and we've seen a lot of innovation in artificial intelligence in our space. And for me, artificial intelligence is all about adaptive learning. So I don't know if anybody's given the GMAT or the GRE here. You get one thing right, and it's, you know, your questions become increasingly harder. That's exactly what artificial intelligence is. It is adaptive learning, and you have to program it to be adaptive. So some of the innovation that we've seen in our space is um, you know, how do you replicate online what an in-store experience for a customer is? You know, In-store, you have people talking to you. They're selling your product. They're positioning it appropriately. How do you use machine language and artificial intelligence to actually replicate that? I've seen a few products. They've pitched to me, but I'm not 100% sure the efficacy of how that's going to plan out, you know, pan out over the next year or so. I'm going to wait and see, you know, actual results as opposed to just a good story. Um, in terms of how we use data, I use data for everything. We run a marketing campaign, we track everything. We run an advertising program, we track everything. So everything goes into data, and what we do with that data that we collect is we try 
our level best to make informed decisions for the next steps we're going to do based on the results that the data has provided us. Are we succeeding at something? Are we doing something better today than we could have done yesterday uh, based on what the numbers are telling us and what the graphs are showing? So we track everything. I'm a huge believer in data kind of being an unbiased predictor of performance. Because if you've done something and you've tracked it, the chances that you'll make better decisions using that data are much higher than just using causal um, you know, reasons. How do you, you know, I'm the case study of ADHD and, mm -hmm. and also not the sharpest knife in the drawer. So when you put the reams and reams of all this different kind of data in front of you, how are you sifting through it? That's actually such a good question. I think you have to ask data the right question. You have so much information available at your fingertips. What do you want to get out of it? So for me, when I evaluate data, a uh, couple of things that I look at. So if you've run a marketing campaign, I you know, really look at what has the conversion rate been to actual sales. So you track to a minute level what that data can tell you. So I feel like data is, big data again is such a big word, but data is meaningless if you don't ask the right questions. Okay, so here's a question. How do you ask the right questions? I mean, you know, that's, that's fair. I think um, you have to know your business and what results you want for your business and you need to be very clear about what you're tracking. So there's some metrics we don't look at and some metrics that we track to the minutest degree. And I think it differs from business to business what you want to track, but you have to be clear about that. There is absolutely no benefit to collecting data if you're not asking the right questions. And I'm, and I'm sure these guys can back me up on that. You have to ask the right question. Well, they're agreeing with you. I see a lot of heads, heads nodding. So with you, Desiree, pulling these things together from different sources, how are you making sure you're getting it pulled together so that what you're delivering for clients, the Chicago Dogs example was great, very practical, something we probably all saw here happening in Chicago recently. How are you making sure that you're pulling, like you're finding the influencers and you're going across all social media, you're going across general media. How are you understanding what's working or how are you able to shift? Maybe that's part of the key. What, how does that work? A couple of different ways. So I think that I, I won't name a particular client, but one issue that we run across all of the time is with the access to data. And you said specifically marketing campaigns being trackable and you can prove ROI. I think that that is the beauty of digital media. Um, it's trackable. I know that I showed, I showed you know, Desiree this ad five days ago and she bought a ticket. I know exactly what my return on investment is. That's exciting and that's great, but that's not 100% of marketing right now. And so television is not trackable. And some clients, they start to invest more into digital and they see that, oh, I'm getting a great ROI here, let me just cut television because that shows me nothing. Don't cut it, it all works together. So that is our job to tell them that story of, okay, you had this TV ad buy, you invested $300,000. I don't know if those people bought a ticket, but I can tell you last year that you spent 150,000 on TV 25% less people bought tickets. So it's making sure that you're educating all the way down the funnel on how we're measuring the different initiatives. And just because something isn't fully trackable with data, it still matters. But you can grab different data points from years before and make that comparison. But not everything is 100% trackable. It doesn't, don't invest too much into what is trackable. Yeah, and some of it then comes down to you probably having to push clients to get some of that other, those other data points from them. What right. did you spend? What was the results on that? Let's all take a look at that, right? Right. Kind of along those lines, I'm thinking of, of Gabe of doing these sponsorship valuation type angle of there's a, a little bit of a look at it, but sometimes people are afraid, I think, to see what the actual results are. It may tell you what you don't want to hear. How are you dealing with, with that, of taking, I mean, I guess maybe that's, maybe I'm answering it myself, the beauty of data saying, well, this is what it is. So you know, how, how are you approaching that? Maybe when it's not telling the story you want 
a team wants to tell. I mean, I think there's a couple of pieces to it, right? And one is that that's actually far more real than I think anyone wants to admit today. And that is the fact that there's a lot of fear about, oh, what if we, if I'm a rights holder, what if I show the real number? Is that a bad story? Or if I'm a brand, am I, do I need to kind of hold this in my back pocket to drop it on the table at the negotiation? <laughs> and it's like, isn't there a lot better place to be about uh, communicating and optimization and real time and transparency, which I think is happening a lot across a lot of other spectrums. And so that's, I think that's certainly a part of it. I think looking at the whole pie is also really valuable of, to get the really the whole story. And, and I think there's a lot of pressure that is building and will continue to build and will ultimately mandate change. I think the thing that sports has is they have, we, we as an industry have content that is just so much more engaging than, than nearly everything else and on a scale that is unparalleled, that's kind of saved it. But marketers are having really challenging discussions about if I have to all allocate my investment portfolio. Over here, I, I have a pretty good sense of what's happening and over here, I know this content is unparalleled, but damn, I mean, I don't have a lot of information. And so I think that paradigm is gonna cause those two to come together. So any, I'll throw this out. To, to any of you of, have you seen anything, do you have any stories recently of that you expected from what you knew already and what data had been telling you, you expected answer A and it ended up being answer Z that totally changed or are you, you've, or are you getting so much data in that you're, it's an A to B, not A to Z change? Are there anything you can share with us? Maybe I'll take this one. Um, so I'm going to actually agree with what Desiree said. Marketing is truly an art. Yes, you can track everything, but sometimes for the message to resonate with your audience, you have to try multiple levers. Like even in finance, like you know, when you're modeling, you're trying out different things. With marketing as well, you have to try out different levers to see what clicks. So we had this experience where we you know, just last month decided we're gonna test the markets in Asia to see what kind of demand our product has. And it's super high quality, it's very affordable, very bright colors. So, you know, let's test what the market outside of America actually looks like. And we picked two countries. Uh, we picked Taiwan and we picked Mexico. And we did, you know, a few marketing campaigns there just on our own, we're very agile, we're a very small team and to see what resonates. We tracked everything, but the results were not what we expected. You know, different things resonated in different geographies. And even though we work with people who were local to those geographies, those reasons were very hard for us to track. I think human emotions sometimes doesn't, is not as easily trackable. What makes people actually make purchasing decisions is not trackable. So I feel it's so much of an art, and yes, we track everything, but sometimes things surprise us. Do we see, while you've got the, the mic, I'd like to hear, I think within our industry, sports wearables are very big. Is that something you're, you're looking at, even doing, um, staying away from? And I wanna hear from anybody else too, because there's all kinds of things you can do with that data, whether it's general consumers or you know, trying to be an elite athlete. But, yeah. Wearables was really big news in 2015. You know, everybody was trying to be the next Fitbit. You had sports bras coming out that could track your heart rate. You had Under Armour creating shoes that could, you know, they had built-in GPS trackers. And what we've seen is, fast forward two years, um, is that the wearables industry is becoming very function specific. Like people do not want one thing that does all. So Fitbit's financials, I read everyone's reports. So Fitbit is actually doing very poorly. Um, you know, Jawbone is um, just shutting down their business. They're selling all the, they're liquidating all their assets. Intel has shut down their wearables division. There are a few companies that do certain things really well, like Garmin, that are actually continuing to do those things well. So I actually think it's becoming a very, very, focused industry, so it's, 
and we are actually staying away from it. So I think when we founded uh, Powerful, we had three core tenants that we still live by. It's like our mission statement. We keep going back to it every time we are making a decision about a product. One is very high quality. Second, offer it to our customers at very affordable prices. And the third is, and this is kind of what defines who we are as a brand, and we're very new, we launched about seven and a half months ago, but it's about being respectful for every single person's individual personal fitness journey. So what we are trying to say is, you know, someone who is at day one is not comparable to someone who's at day 365. So in everything that we do and we say and how we position ourselves, it's about respect for the individual's fitness journey. So right now, wearables is not on our radar. You're not wearing them. I better turn my Fitbit in, I guess. Anybody else on that topic? Go ahead, yeah. I'll just say that um, as a media buyer, I don't find the wearable data easily accessible to act upon. So I don't, I'm not, I'm not super connected to that, that industry, but I would like to see actionable data from all of these wearables. Fair enough. Next one, kind of along those lines, is there something else? You talked about wearables were so hot in 2015. Is there something that you see as a hot button or something that you're, you, we're on the cusp of the, the next big thing? And that could be you know, a legit big thing, or it could be something that's you know, overblown. But it, you, you know, for, for all these folks that are here and hearing of what trends are, is there anything that anybody would want to call out that they think, hey, this thing is going to blow our minds or... This thing's coming, but eh, I don't know if it's going to work. Uh, gotta, so, somebody's got to answer. Nathan? Yeah, so I kind of have a general statement. I'm not sure if this, I'm not sure where the application necessarily is in sport, but I, I, I commented earlier about how um, you know, artificial intelligence research is at a point where there's, there's so much cross-pollination. So you know, something that's done in one very specific context is being reappropriated, reapplied to other contexts. And as with a lot of things, Google's been a big leader in this. They published you know, a set of models to do sequential predictions. So if you ever use Google Translate, um, it got really good within the last year. Like really, really good. Like scary good. And the reason they did that is because they built this whole mechanism of, of models to, to essentially do the mapping. If you give me an input sequence in one language and you give me an output sequence in another language, they learned at a fundamental level what is the embedding for that. How, how do we encode that information? And it's sort of this methodology, it's called sequence-to-sequence -sequence learning, and it's, it's been used and reappropriated to learn about gene sequencing, you know, so it's been used in biological realms, it's been used in natural language processing research, essentially to learn what are embeddings for words, you know, what is a word's meaning in relation to all the words that are around it, um, can I, how can I regenerate text, so what I'm trying to say is that these tools are out there, and they're being reapplied to do the sequence-to-sequence -sequence for sort of any data you have. Um, and so I think, I just think that over the next year we're gonna see some crazy stuff come out where people are learning these really interesting embeddings for how you represent these information and, and learn things. We're gonna see an, autumn, uh, an E strike zone for baseball? That's what I wanna see. I'm tired of the Cubs getting screwed by, by all the umpires. But it, seriously, that's what's interesting to me of that crossover of emotion and the, the, the human interaction of it, and each ump sees things differently, and, and can, you know, have we proven it with tennis and Wimbledon and all those, that those are even foolproof? It, does something like that happen, or do we even not want something like that to happen because it, you're taking all the humanity out of it? Everybody just looking at each other yeah. like that. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I think one of the big headlines, right, is the velocity of change. I think it's applicable to more than just what we're talking about, but things like computer vision, if you look at the growth in the last 24 months as compared to the last 24 years, it's not even comparable. And so I think that is the speed is the thing that, I mean, you could have the games officiated perhaps in a completely automated way and you wouldn't even think that was comprehensible 18 months ago. And so things like computer vision and all the widespread applications of it and all the bigger firms that are working on it and then the cross-pollination of things like, well, we're using this to do a self-driving car, but all of a sudden we're able to identify every fan 
in a stadium. You know, there's companies like FanCam that can give you an HD quality photo of every single person in the stadium at any given time during the game. And then you can do some processing on that to understand who they are. I mean, again, that wasn't even on the radar two years ago. So right. I, I, for in, in mass. And then who the they are and how they're feeling about the game. Yes. <laughs> are they looking at the scoreboard? Are they looking at the ice? Are they in the beer line? Whatever, right? Like, it's pretty interesting. Also, I think a theme, right, is that data is being commoditized. The insights are what will be differentiators. So can you sort through all that, ask the right questions, and get the answers that can change your business? All right, from a painless networking angle, I'd like to get any of you to give the folks that are here tonight your perspective on, you know, you probably all, you all have cool jobs and you probably all get hit up of, well, how do I get there? How do I get your job? Or what, how do I break in? Or how do I make a move over? What, what's a key piece of advice that you would give? Hopefully this has turned into a fabulous podcast as well for people to listen on, on forever and ever. But for everybody here, people that are listening, what would you say you know, is a, is a key go-to, a touchstone when people come to you and say, well, how, do, how the heck do I do what you do? I would say it's, it's specialized in something. So if you see the opportunity to learn something when it's new and it's early on, take it. And do not let something like I'm not technical stop you. I, I hate it when people say that. I'm not technical. My, my undergrad is writing. I am not technical. Just do it, figure it out. I like that. Lorca. You know, I, this is a hard one for me, but I really feel that if you build in yourself a bias for action, like just do stuff, don't wait on people to give you things and don't wait on people to uh, make things happen for you, but just have a bias for action in everything that you do. Whether, you know, and, you know, sometimes I think it has, uh, I have stumbled because of the bias for action, but I've always kept moving myself forward. And I, I think that's like been one of my learning experiences in my career is just, you know, keep, you will fall down, you will have failures, and it's how do you move forward from that? And it's not easy. Sometimes failures can be very crushing. Um, it can be, you know, almost paralyzing sometimes when you're in a situation where things are just falling apart. But how do you move forward? And I think it's just a mindset thing. You have to have a bias for action to try out new things, to start in new industries. Well, if you have such a fear of failing that you never do it, then you'll never see if it even succeeds or at least learn from failing, right? So just keep it. That's, I love that. That's brilliant. Nathan, you got one for us? Uh, yeah, so I'd, I'd echo both those points strongly. Um, if you had talked to me a year ago, I would have told you that it was very unlikely that I had a job in sports as a data science. <laughs> if you talked to me two years ago, I said that was unfathomable. Um, and not because I'm not competent uh, or capable or whatever, but when you get into a path sometimes, it's, it's hard to pick your head up and think, what do I really want to be doing? Um, I was two years halfway through a PhD program in astrophysics, and I thought, you know, I really like astronomy. I think it's cool, but is this fundamentally what I want to be doing with my life? Um, so find something that you're interested in and that you're passionate about, that you get excited about, and don't, don't limit yourself. You know, find ways to get involved, find ways to, to be of a benefit, of a resource to people uh, that are doing things that you find interesting. You know, I latched on to a professor in the business school at UNC because she was doing stuff in sports, doing stuff in analytics. She was driven. She was kind of building her own brand. I thought, hey, like, let me just try and chip at things. You know, there's some projects, some pie projects, some work that I can do in my spare time. Cool. And iteratively over time, like three years later, here I am. So don't give up. I love it. That's awesome. All right, Gabriel, close <laughs> this out. Come on. I mean, I, I think it's actually pretty daggone consistent. Like, uh, I think risk, so personal deal, like last 18 months, had only worked for very established organizations. Uh, I think yeah, you've been at McDonald's, you've been in the Western Golf Association that was around for 100 plus years, and Starcom, you know, Burnett family. Yeah. So now you're at a startup. 
Sorry. Yeah. I got to tell your story. I got to share yeah, it. Yeah, no. So, like, three kids at home, you know, just a lot of, a lot of deer in headlights the at home. Hell like, what the hell am I doing? matter with you? You know, that kind of scenario. Uh, I think the un... If it, I had, at various points in my career, been comfortable. I think the power of being uncomfortable is magic. I mean, you will never grow so fast as when you're in a position as when you just have to figure that shit out. And like, that's, I'm just saying that's, I think that's a real thing. And I think that's kind of a, maybe my little more <laughs> redneck way of saying what was said down here, right? And uh, You are a Hoosier. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's a derogatory term in St. Louis. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think that kind of, uh, not to be overly sayings or whatever, but I did, when I was actually making this decision, I read a, a quote and I was like, wow, that's pretty insightful. And that was, if you fell, if, if you get up, you only fell down. You only fail if you stay down. And, and I was like, wow, that's pretty interesting. And so I, I do think that me personally, I, I have personally experienced the steepest growth curve of any point in my professional life. And it was because I had a bias for action. I put myself out there, and I took a risk on something that was totally uncomfortable, and it turned out to be a damn good move. I want to allow some more time, about half an hour for left for some networking as well as being able to talk to any of the panelists. These guys will be available around the room to chat. Desiree, Lodka, Nathan, Gabe, thank you all very much. Thank you guys for coming tonight. We'll see you again soon, and as I like to say, stay connected, friends. Well, how was that? Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much to all four panelists. Plus, I uh, also have to give big props to Jacqueline Thomas and Julia Crossen-Cook from WISE, the whole WISE team for their support and hard work, but especially to Jacqueline and Julia for making this event happen. Uh, four quick things to add to your to-do list before you jump on to your next pod. One, check out our sponsor of today's panel and pod, uh, the NCSA folks, go to ncsasports.org, scroll down to the bottom, click careers, find out how you can join all different kinds of roles, a whole bunch of opportunities. They're hiring ncsasports.org. Uh, second one, reminder, if you're in spike ball, nationals are coming to Chicago October 14th. If you are in any way interested in playing from any level, from beginner to expert, a team of two women only, of under 16, over 35, it's going to be an awesome time. And those guys are great. They gave us a 50% discount for Painless members. Get to usaspikeball.com. Use the code PAINLESS and get 50% off. Thanks to Chris Reuter and the crew. You can also catch an awesome episode with Chris way back on pod number four. Another Painless offer would be $5 off the hot chocolate 15 and 5K race with the code HCPAINLESS. Check out Hot Chocolate Race. Hurry, that's a limited time offer, $5 off. And finally, number four would be subscribe to the Painless Podcast. Check out our past episodes. Some other great ones, Jeff Urban from Whistle Sports, Jason Sachs from Positive Coaching Alliance. If you're a runner of any kind with the marathon coming up, the last two episodes are great. Kerry Pankowski and Tim Hadzima talk about the Chicago Marathon and World Marathon majors. And last week's was Dave Zimmer from Fleet Feet, Steve Ginsberg from Ram Racing, and the aforementioned Hot Chocolate Races. They're terrific, a lot of, a lot of fun stories and good information. All right, I promise I'm getting out of your ears right now. Until next time, it's Chris Hartwick saying, stay connected, friends. Oh,